Anchored is a production of the Classic Learning Test, based in Annapolis, Maryland, reconnecting knowledge and virtue through meaningful assessments. Visit us at cltexam.com slash get started. Welcome back to the Anchored Podcast, the official podcast of the Classic Learning Test. My name is Soren Schwab, VP of Partnerships here at CLT, and today we're joined by Brett Leyland. Brad received his BA in communications from the University of Florida and his MA in theology from Fuller Theological Seminary. He is the CEO of the Focus Group, joining the firm in 2012 after a 20-year career with Young Life. The Focus Group has helped Christian ministries, schools, and colleges raise over $1 billion. Brad and his wife, Wendy, reside in St. Augustine, Florida, and have four children. Brad enjoys running marathons, skiing, investing in real estate, entrepreneurship, and traveling around the world with his family. Brad, so excited to have you on today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for asking me to join. Absolutely. We'll see if we can sneak in some question about running marathons because uh, that's just super impressive. And I, I love talking about uh, about running. So we'll see if we can we can sneak that in. Uh, but let's start, as we always do with the Anchored Podcast, by talking about our guests' own educational journey. Um, what was school like for you growing up? Uh, did you go to public school, private school, homeschool? Did you enjoy education? Yeah, so I went to a Christian school, an Episcopal school, uh, until my parents got divorced. And so then found myself in a public school for the rest of uh, middle school and high school. The Christian school that I went to growing up was a really great, safe place where they they really took me as an individual and uh, helped me grow. And even as a fifth grader who found myself in the public school back in the 80s, I, it was so distinct and different. And um, but finished out, went to the University of Florida, uh, graduated degree in communications, and then went on to Fuller Seminary and got my Master's of Arts in Theology, which officially makes me a theologian. And I just think that's scary. So. Theologian turned fundraiser. I mean, it's it's a pretty great bio. Um, so you 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 said you went to University of Florida. Um, how did you get connected with with Young Life? Because I, I know you, you you worked with Young Life for twenty years. Was that something that happened uh, uh, early on in your in your days? Was that in college? Yeah, when I was in high school, um, I got I built a, uh, a Young Life leader built a relationship with me and invited me to come to a Young Life meeting. And I went to the very first Young Life club of my freshman year of high school and uh, never went back. Uh, it was a large group of people, and I was intimidated by it. And um, But Young Life is a ministry that focuses on building relationships. And so a Young Life leader, Jim, he built a relationship with me and through high school um, ended up committing my life to Christ. And, and he invited me to a Bible study and then helped me join a church. And then I went to college and my Young Life leader, it was so great, he he drove up and helped me go to church and find a church at the University of Florida. And um, and so really was wonderful and a great part of my life. And so I got to college and I just became a volunteer Young Life leader and realized that I could go on the Young Life staff. And so I thought I was going to become an attorney. Like I really, my vision was to go into politics. And um, but instead, I wound up going on Young Life staff. And uh, it was super different than what I expected I would do in my life. Very, very much so. Instead of DC, you know, you're you're in Florida. Um, so um, that's fascinating. So what 
20 years at Young Life, what were some of the, the highlights? What, what what were you doing there? And, and was there something uh, at Young Life that, that you feel like um, prepared you for, for what you're doing now? Yeah, so it, absolutely. And what happened is I became a Young Life leader. I started raising money because you have to raise money. I was in college. I worked part-time. I raised some money. And then I went on staff with Young Life. Young Life sent me to St. Augustine. Back then, you didn't apply to go to a city. You just applied to go on the Young Life staff. And like they just sent you. So I went to St. Augustine because that's where I they told me to go. And I started working with kids and I started raising money. And I realized that I was pretty like I could work with kids and I was pretty good at it, but I was better at fundraising. And I realized that the more money we raised, the more part-time and volunteers we could have and the more ministry. And so I quickly connected fundraising with expanding our work. Right. And so I just I, and I remember actually liking the fundraising like it was fun. I actually this is fun. So I remember thinking to myself, most I think all young life people must love the fundraising and the kid work is the secondary thing. And what I quickly discovered is I was the only person on young life staff that liked the fundraising. And so over my career at young life, the first 10 years, I ran young life in St. Augustine and then Central Florida. And then Young Life promoted me into the development world. And eventually I was the chief development officer for Young Life Mission Wide, um, which was super fun. Um, it actually wasn't the pinnacle of my career with Young Life. Like I spent five years as the director of field development. And in that role, my job was to train and empower all the Young Life staff on how to raise money and help them and develop systems. And so they, I did that for five years, and then I was in charge of fundraising, you know, raising $250 million, and that was fine, and I could do that. But when I think back to what brought me the most joy, it was this helping people understand how to embrace fundraising. And so after my career at Young Life was ending, and I did 20 years, and I, I really felt called to move on, um, moving into the focus group where we help Christian ministries have the funds they need to fulfill their mission – it's just so fun. It, it connects to that time on Young Life staff where I felt most alive, um, except instead of only serving Young Life people, which I still get to do now, is now we have these 100 schools and Christian ministries, the most amazing organizations. And the fact that we at the focus group and I get to help them, I I, I mean, I can't believe I get paid to do what I do, you know, <laughs> like I would do. A, don't tell anybody, but I think I do everything I do for free. So yeah, that's our little secret. Yeah, we won't release this podcast, obviously, at all. Obviously, um, no. The, the, I mean, and, and you exude that that kind of passion, and so it's it's just beautiful to see. Well, and we'll talk about your work at the Focus Group uh, and and really the important important work that you're you're doing um, for you know in, in our field, of course, especially for 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 secondary schools and, and colleges. Um, but let's talk a little bit about education. I mean, you mentioned you loved training and, and teaching, you know, young life staffers. Uh, I, I assume, correct me if I'm wrong, but 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 going through you know public public high school and then into University of Florida, you probably didn't receive a classical education. Um, no. How how did you how were you exposed to classical education um, and and how you know what you learned about it? How was that so different from what what you yourself received? Super surprised. I mean, like I after I left Young Life staff, I started working at the focus group, and the focus group has a long term relationship with the Murdoch Charitable Trust. And one of the things that the Murdoch Charitable Trust does is they hire the focus group to train about 20 different groups a year. And um, very early on in my, you know, uh, you know, over 10 years ago, 
they asked me to work with this school called Cedar Tree Classical School, which is outside of Portland. And um, they, at the time, here's what's happened, is I was starting to help them with fundraising because the Murdoch Charitable Trust sort of asked me to. And then my son, my oldest son, who's now at the University of Florida and he's 21, he was in second grade and he had tested gifted and was like brilliant and amazing. But in the public school that he was going to in St. Augustine, which by the way, was the best public school in our county and our county has the best schools in the state, right? Okay, so Max was going to the school and he was going dark and getting really disinterested. And then I meet this classical school way far away outside of Portland from Florida. And they describe themselves as, well, we approached education differently. We're kind of weird. We have this different approach. And so it, so my wife and I kind of went home and we're like, well, what is this? Like we, our son is not doing well. And, and what is this other thing? And so it started to open our eyes to it, which, you know, as you know, led us to eventually to the crazy idea of starting a classical Christian school in St. Augustine and, you know, helping we've helped. I mean, a board formed, we helped form a board and, and we are now finishing our sixth year in St. Augustine with the classical school that we got to help start. And so it, the movement, you know, in about 10 years ago, a little after meeting classical, uh, a cedar tree, I met Keith Nix at Veritas in Richmond and he's a wealth of wisdom. And, and so started helping him with fundraising because he was needing to raise a bunch of money for his school. So I know fundraising, he knew classical. So it was a match made in heaven. Right. And so, um, got to help Keith and, and then just have been so blessed by SCL, the society of classical learning and ACCS. They just have so many resources, you know, like ACCS association of classical Christian schools. You can go on their website and for like $45, you buy this handbook of how to start a classical school. And like, we totally bought it. And like, it said, do this. And we did that, you know, and, and then SCL has been amazing at helping. And so it's been super fun, but it kind of found us and we've committed more money and more of our time than I ever dreamed we would. And it's been really great. So uh, very different. Yeah, very different. But it's, I mean, it is, it is such a small word. And when, and I, I, I lit up when you mentioned Cedar Tree, because they're, they're one of our CLT schools and, and, and just amazing people out there on, on the other, on the other coast. And Kimberly Thorn, Thornberry is a, is, a, is, a, is a great friend of ours and she's at the Mur Murdoch Trust. So it's, it's a growing movement, but it's still kind of, it feels like family, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so, so you, you you founded or helped found Veritas Classical School um, in in St. Augustine, and I get to visit that school actually next week, um, and I'm really excited to see it. Uh, I think last year there were about a hundred classical Christian schools that were founded that started. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's 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 wild, um, and I'm sure there's there's good and the bad and the ugly. Uh, from your experience, what can you share? What advice can you share with our listeners? Maybe maybe some of them are starting, thinking about starting a school. Uh, what were some of the lessons that you learned? Um, and what, maybe what would you do differently if you, if you did it all over again? Well, I'd share two things that come to mind and are really important. One, um, when we formed the school, there was a group of about six couples that, and we all used our gifts. My gifts are in the area of fundraising and real estate. Right. And we had an accountant and we had a like this local sort of politician. He's not a politician, but he's sort of like heirloom, our board chair, Matt Baker. He's just he's so well respected in our community. So we all used our different gifts and we together formed the school. Right. It sounds amazing. Right. But one of the things that we did is we hired an attorney 
to write our um, bylaws, right? And our bylaws were not written well. And so the first thing I would do is I would, if I was to start school again, I would have gone to Keith or any of the friends of mine in the classical movement and said, could you share your bylaws with me? Because everybody in the classical movement is so willing to share, right? And so instead of learning from other schools who'd made mistakes and fixed their bylaws, we hired a attorney who had nothing to do with classical schools to write our bylaws, which we're still dealing with some of the problems. Over the last six years have caused us to have a lot of conflict. And if the bylaws, bylaws were written better, we will, the conflict would have been resolved for us, right? And so um, that was the first thing that comes to mind. The second thing that comes to mind, and this is going to, I might be controversial, but um, we made a decision as a board to be evangelical versus covenant. And um, evangelical means, in our mind, that we're going to believe this. This is what we believe. And anyone who's willing to have their children taught from that perspective is welcome to come to our school. And um, my young life background, that felt right. You know, we want to be a lighthouse for people and we want to invite all and we want people to meet Christ by coming to our school. Like that, that's, that fits with my young life background. Right. And it fits who I am as a person, you know, like evangelism is important to me. But um, but what I've learned along the way is that that creates a conflict. And so if I had to do the school over again, I would I would suggest that we're a covenant school. Um, And, you know, I've seen some schools that both parents have to agree and live out their faith. And I've seen where it's one parent and, you know, I might be the one parent place, you know, like but but just the idea that this is a place for uh, families that are like-minded to come together to educate their kids, it creates a stronger bond. And, and, you know, somebody might disagree with me on that and say, no, that's not what we're calling. I just, I, at this point, our children, um, Soren, like our, we helped start that school, but you know, the high school is still developing. And I, my kids were, my, my younger three children are all high schoolers, ninth, 10th and 11th grade. And this year we made the decision to to move our family up to Richmond so they could be at Veritas in Richmond, which is a fully functioning high school. Um, you know, in St. Augustine, it just it. my daughter was a junior and w- would have been the only person in the junior class at Veritas. And, you know, that's it's a lot to ask of a child to be the only one. It's not undoable, but we just have the resources and the relationship with Keith that I, we've moved our kids. Now, I tell all that, that Richmond is a Veritas is a covenant school and it's, it has a very different feel to it uh, than the families in St. Augustine, which are awesome families. I mean, I love the families of Veritas. So I'm not being negative. It's just you, the, like the number of people that come to the prayer meetings at Veritas in Richmond is far is very different. And so I think there's a case to be made for both, but if I had to do it over again, I would, I would, uh, I would do the covenant model. So no, Again, no, controversial. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Well, it's it's. I mean, it's it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, you have you have firsthand experience. Um, and 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 yes, we're not going to go into all the details, but but I, you're not the first one to mention that. And I think a lot of it is too with um with the culture shifting and and even being more aggressively secular. And 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 so I think there's. I know that some schools that we work with have have even amended their bylaws just to, you know, I, I mean, it's, 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 it's just the time we live in and it's, it's, um, yeah, it's certainly difficult, but I, but yeah, yeah like our head of school in St. Augustine said some things 
at the at a, the at the welcome, like the back to school yeah. night with the parents, and they were so core. They weren't controversial. They were basic gospel beliefs. And my wife heard murmurs from some families who were offended by what he said. And they there was nothing offensive. Like he wasn't out in left field. And so like that conflict exists. Now, that's what God has for Veritas and St. Augustine. So praise the Lord, like it's going to be fine. And, you know, that's, it is. I've seen lives transformed because we're an evangelical school. So it's not like I'm, a hundred percent covenant and zero percent evangelistic in nature because there I've seen it. So I just that you it's you asked me a good question that I have actually thought about lately. Yeah, yeah. Well, and just knowing the people that are there, um, uh, Andrew Smalley is just it's just incredible. Um, just an awesome guy, fellow European. We love soccer, so there's there's that. Um, and uh, no, you've got yeah. And Andrew and Andrew likes to run triathlons, and so do I. So like when we were recruiting Andrew, I was like, I was like, so I don't really care if you're qualified to be our head of school. Will you run, bike, and swim with me? And he's like, yes. And so we have done a uh, Olympic distance triathlon together, and he is so much faster than me. He like. It's like, I think he waited around, like, I think he went home and took a shower and came back and watched uh, me finish, but. Well, um, I think he's a few years younger too, right? I mean, you, you know, so maybe he has that, has that on you too. Um, that, well, I, I promised I would sneak in questions about that. So take a quick break. Tell me how many marathons have you, have you completed in your life? Cause it is, it is wild. Well, 53. Um, so I did one this last weekend. So, um, and you know, it's, I feel a really alive running and I love yeah. running. And so it's fun. 53 marathons. Impressive. Impressive. Almost as many flights if you've already been on uh, this year. So, <laughs> well, life does sometimes feel like a marathon, but right, it's right. so fun. Like uh, later today, like we're just starting to help the classic Christian schools are so fun. And then you must enjoy, do you enjoy getting to go visit different schools? I or? absolutely love it. It's my favorite part of the job. It's exhausting, right, to to travel a lot, but but seeing this this vision of education in action is is just the most amazing thing. Yeah, and that's when I do that too. Like uh, tomorrow, I'm going to the field school in Chicago, and um, super excited. Every time I go to a new campus, I learn something. You know, it's just that's such a, uh, such a treat. And so, yeah, yeah. Well, well, let's talk about that a little bit more. I mean. Y- you know, you're doing really, really, really important work with the focus group. And anyone who's been to an SEL or an ACCS conference has probably seen either you or your colleagues at the table uh, with, with focus group material. Um, and, and you mentioned earlier, you were the one that was so excited and passionate about fundraising. Um, and other people were not quite as as enthusiastic. Uh, you know, when I talk to schools and, and you know, I, I talk a lot of, of, of like, uh, with a lot of younger leaders and and they're thinking about, maybe being ahead of school one day. What I often do hear from them is, I just don't know if I have what it takes. Academically, I do. I know that. But then there's all these other things, right? When you lead a school that you have to do. And believe it or not, fundraising always comes up. So it's certainly this this this, this notion for people that, oh gosh, if I'm in this role, I got to fundraise constantly. And that's just not who I am. I don't, I don't like doing that. You guys are obviously helping helping with that. So so talk to us a little bit about, about uh, your role at the focus group, uh, obviously the CEO, uh, but what do you guys do and how do you, how do you serve schools and, and ministries and colleges? 
Yeah, it's such a broad question. Um, fundraising is hard work, but the formula is really simple. And when our fundraising models the essence of God, when God is a relational God, you know, like if there's systematic theology uh, in seminary, like that God's core is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God exists at his core as relationship. So when our fundraising models relationship between uh, between a head of school or a board and people, and we're about relationships, then you're inviting partners to join you in this movement. When our fundraising is transactional and we have events or we do gimmicks or we say, sponsor me as I repel off a building, you know, like, which is true. Like there's those fundraisers, you know, out there. It's, it's a transaction. And, and so my big thing, what we do is we help people pursue relationships. And it usually takes the form of helping classical Christian schools either transform their annual fundraising from event-based, because everybody does an auction or a gala, right? And a golf tournament. Move it from event-based to people-based. And then we most often help classical Christian schools because they're in rented church space or their building's too small or whatever. And so we probably are helping 25 different classical Christian schools around the U.S. right now in capital campaigns, raising their first time they've ever raised 5 million or 3 million and 10 million. You know, it's they're smaller projects like the focus group. We have these huge projects like we're helping Dallas Theological Seminary raise like $250 million and we have all these big, huge $100 million projects. We're helping the navigators. We're helping university. We have, they're all huge numbers. But uh, the classical Christian schools, they've never done anything. And if I can help, like classical Christian schools, helping them raise the first 2 or $3 million, it's, it changes everything for the school. Uh, and the, well, this is what happens. And this is what I know God has called me to do. It's 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 helped people move from a scarcity mentality of just barely getting by to freeing them up to think if money were no object, what would we do in our community? What would we pay our teachers? Like imagine classical Christian schools having the reputation of teachers get paid better and have better benefits than any other school type in the country. That's not the case, but that's what I would like. I would like us to be at the top end of our equipping our teachers. And, and that's what we want, right? But instead, we figure out that we can hire a teacher for half of what the public school pays and not give them benefits. And we're kind of playing, and, and they do it as long as they can because they're called and they feel they love Jesus. But, but why not have our campuses be the most beautiful campuses, uh, the best paid teachers, so that we can recruit the best talent to inspire this next generation of leaders, which statistically, the classical Christian school movement is producing, right? Yeah. And so most people are so stuck in, if I could just have a little bit more money so I could keep the lights on, like they're living there. And I know God's called me to help people have the vision for, um, you know, this other world. And I've seen it, like I've seen it, these classical Christian schools we've helped, that it's like the lights go on. Um, my mom recently got cataract surgery and, um, so she got the cataract removed. She felt like she could see fine. And um, she went in and they removed her cataract. And she's like, 
And so one eye was still had a, they do one at a time. So one eye had the cat old, one eye had the new lens. And she's like, when I open my eye with the new lens, everything is so bright and different. And I can see things I've never seen before. And then when I close it, I look out the other eye, everything is brown and foggy. And, and that image or that metaphor or analogy is perfect, right? Because our opportunities in the classical Christian world are huge and our results are ridiculous and it's very fundable. And, but most people are like, if you would just please come to our auction and give $25, all. Um, I'd be really grateful. You know, that's more typical. Almost they're embarrassed to ask sometimes, right? I mean, it's, I think that's that, you know, a lot of them are, you know, we're, we're, we're trained in this, you know, classical education and we just want to provide the best kind of education. And I think fundraising, it, it's like this, I don't know, this thing, oh, this thing we really don't want to most do. People have done, most people have done fundraising the wrong way and therefore they decide they don't like it. Yeah. But when we walk alongside people and show them the right way, they actually say, wow, I like fundraising. And the results are very different, right? So I have this fundraising principle that it's not in my book and it's not something I officially, it's not on a PowerPoint, but here's the line. You're welcome to, to share it <laughs> with your audience. Here it goes, is if it feels icky, don't do it, right? Like okay. if it doesn't feel good, stop, just stop, right? Don't do that uh, because fundraising done well feels like an invitation allow people to be a part of what you're doing. And mm -hmm. if they're not called to be a part of what you're doing, it, it's not a no. It's just, that's great. You know, they're just not intrigued by it. So we love the work we get to do. I, there's a school, two stories I'll just tell about classical schools we've helped. Um, I mean, yes, we helped Keith and yes, we've helped the big schools, right? Like uh, Geneva School of Bernie, mm -hmm. like big, we've helped the big schools and we've helped little schools, but the little schools are the ones that are more pronounced. And like, so we helped the region school of Charlottesville with their first mm -hmm. ever campaign. And, you know, it, it, their campus is being built right now and they raised several million dollars and people gave bigger gifts and Courtney is so uh, empowered. And the school is going to go from two campuses to one campus. And now they're launching their second campaign. And this past week, a donor who gave a modest gift in the first campaign just committed about a million dollars for the second campaign. Right. And so this strength, like if I had told Courtney, the head of school, that that would happen, she would have been, there's no way. But yet this donor just stepped up in such a huge way for the second second campaign. And, and then this other story that I love is we got to help at uh, Covenant Christian Academy in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And David Sanju is the head of school there. And they've, you know, they've gone way over goal of their campaign. And it was just for a few million dollars. But part of it was to um, raise more money so they could help teachers and give raises and stuff to their faculty. And it, it's gone so well that like don't that they they ended up <laughs> they end up giving their teachers bonuses, Christmas bonuses. And I mean the bonuses were huge, like not hundreds, it was thousands, right? Because the school just was able to raise so much more money. And you know, just David telling the story of their teachers being in tears, you know, like and. And and they deserve it, right? These teachers were so faithful through COVID. And then suddenly, and the school was doing everything they could, but if you don't have it, you don't have it, right? But suddenly, and it was really neat as they started to do that, there was a board member who said, well, well, um, I'll match a fund. I'll give an extra hundred grand for that. You know, so it, 
So to think of like, it's not just about buildings. It's about our, our greatest resources, the teachers in the school. And when we're, when we're not fighting in this poverty mentality or scarcity mentality, it flows everywhere. So um, those are a couple of my favorite stories this last year. Yeah, yeah thanks for sharing. I mean, I think in a, in a way, Focus Group and CLT have a similar mission. I like to say our mission is to help schools fulfill theirs. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if if we can help on the assessment side, um, and if you can help on the on the on the financial side, so that they can do the things that they want to do anyways and not constantly rush to the urgent. And I think that's that's something, and I, I'm gonna talk about your book here in a second, but it oftentimes seems this we're just rushing to the urgent. Oh, we really need a playground. So let's just throw this event so we can raise the money to then do the playground, and then we're waiting till the next thing happens that we then have to, you know, bootstrap and 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 fundraise for. Um, I read your new book. Um, is awesome, and and I'm not even in fundraising, but I really think it is it is it is a, a really 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 good book. It's called Turning Donors into Partners, and, and and what I like about it, and I mentioned always in the introduction, people say, well, aren't you like VP of Sales and Marketing? Like, well, kind of, but I my title is VP of Partnerships, and I really you know you communicate something with that, right? Like, it's not about just the transactional; it's about really walking alongside our school partners and being partners with them. Um, I also like the the subtitle, Principles for Fundraising You'll Actually Enjoy. And so you, in a way, you're already admitting, right, that some people don't enjoy fundraising because probably, like you said, they're, they're doing it wrong. Um, what 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 prompted you to to write the book? And, and, and if you can share with us a, a few of the key principles um, of fundraising that, that you cover in that book, uh, that'd be great. Yeah, well, I, I wrote the book because... Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> I kind of needed to, like, it's, it's, I've been doing this for 30 years and I've had all these experiences and I do, we have these six principles and five practices that we teach over and over again. And, and my calling, I know what my calling is, it's to help build the kingdom of God. And, you know, this podcast, there'll be lots of people listening and, and I speak all the time and we help all these clients and there's a big team at the focus group. But at the end of the day, you can't get everywhere. And so I really took everything I knew and everything I know and put it in a book, which you can buy for $15 or whatever on Amazon with my hope that that things that people would have hope and that they would do things differently and they would stop pursuing people transactionally and pers- invite them to be a part of their work. I actually got an email from somebody shortly after the book was released. I got an email from somebody I'd never met before. And he referenced something I said in the book. And then he referenced meeting with a donor and approaching it differently. And the donor gave him a very different, much larger gift after the meeting. And I, I sort of was like, well, that that's why I wrote the book, you know, is because I want God's work. I mean, like it's, I want to see the gospel advanced around the world and, um, so that's it. But, you know, the, if I had to share principles, I've been sharing them already on this podcast that, you know, the first principle is people give to people they know and trust. And and that's the thing, the concept of relationships, you know, and so that's the theme of the book, right? That That's the greatest principle. And um, but the five practices that we teach, you know, I like to tell the story of like, you know, if I asked to ask you, Soren, you know, what are the five ingredients to make a cake? You'd tell me flour, sugar, eggs, water, you know, and um, and there are that's true. That's how you bake a cake and with those ingredients. But if you took the flour and the sugar and baked it for 45 minutes and then 
and add it and then took it out of the oven and then added the egg and the water, right? It just wouldn't work. And so it would be nasty. <laughs> and so that's what happens. Like, I don't think there's anything that amazing about what I said in the book. Like, it's not rocket science. It's not overly complicated, but I have learned a formula that when applied in the proper way, as in put the water and egg in before you bake it, like it works. And so that, so that's what it really is. is it's, um, it's my great attempt to help people approach fundraising in a way that's life-giving versus sucking everything out of it. My wife said, <laughs> love my wife. She said, Brad, you should call the book the F word. And I was like, the <laughs> F word? And you mean fundraising? She's like, well, that might be the F word. And my wife's not like a person that cusses all the time. But the concept is, is people hate fundraising so much that, that that's more in, in mind. But University Press didn't like that concept. They came up with the title, Turning Donors into Partners. <laughs> yes, imagine that. But you did. But that second, that line, fun principles you'll actually enjoy, does speak to my wife's title. No, no, you're and and to what I said earlier about some of the aspiring school leaders that that's what they least look forward to being in a head of school role and feeling like, quote unquote they have to fundraise right you would probably say no you get to you get to build relationships with people in your community that want to give to your school but we don't necessarily look at it that way right right like Andrew Andrew Small who you're going to meet with next week at Veritas he's a great fundraiser he is so good at raising money he's He's been such a gift to our school, but he has also sort of followed like my suggestions of best practice and, you know, used the case statement and talk, invited people to be a part of it. So like he is really personable, which helps and has a really cool British accent, but then he's also approaching it the right way. And like, there's been so many times he's like, we're do like, it's really funny. He'll be like, we'll have a like a community night where we're, you know, we all gather at a barn and it's like a hoedown or something, you know, and it'll be like, Brad, what about it getting everybody to raffle off an item? And I'm like, no, that's a horrible fundraising idea. He's like, but we're going to have everybody in the room. Shouldn't we get them to auction to buy something? Or I'm like, no, you should invite them to see how amazing our school is and then pursue people relationally on the side. And like everything in him is like, trying to do what he sees he wants to do what he sees everybody else is doing but that's just not a good idea and so he's followed these basic principles and has literally you know veritas in san augustine we raise about three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year we're a new school we started a high school we have two campuses we we tuition covering the cost of education is the goal but you can't do that when you're growing a brand new school right and so we have to raise three hundred fifty thousand a year and we raise the majority of it through conversations with individuals where we invite them to be a part of what, what God's doing through our school, right? And then we do have a couple fundraisers that are, are sort of our math audience, but most schools do the fundraisers as the as the goal, right? Whereas us, that's like, okay, we're already at 300,000, so let's have a golf tournament and let's, you know, we participate in the giving day in St. Augustine. But. Right. Well, um, you're not only... Uh, a fun a fundraiser and, and and really have have obviously taken the focus group to to new heights and been very successful with that uh and i'm not saying all these things to brag on you even though you know maybe a little bit uh you also have a real estate business and, and have amassed uh, your own wealth 
so you and, and you're also a major major donor yourself and i find that, that that i want to talk about a little bit right so you're you're not only fundraising but you're also donors so i assume you get pursued by by fundraising companies right and individuals often because you give so generously um can you share either either a story or or maybe maybe some of the 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 the, the pitfalls right of 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 of, of organizations asking you um, for for money for donations yeah so i i i'm certainly surprised that wendy and i have resources like i went on young life staff out of college i made eighteen thousand dollars a year like a plus b does not equal the wealth that god has blessed us with and so i uh, I started a real estate company. I used to have a gumball machine business, like, you know, and I had a hundred gumball machines around the state of Florida. And, and then I, it, I, I got involved. I bought a property. This is a long story, but I got just kind of led me to some real estate stuff. And then I got my real estate license and then I opened a real estate brokerage and it was all like on the side. I shut down the gumball business and, and invited a lot of my old young life kids to get their real estate license and have a job. And then all of a sudden I turned around and we have, you know, a, this really big business and 80 people working for endless summer realty. And um, it's awesome, but I, I, I love it. I don't do a lot with it. I, I have a great team that kind of runs it. And then I get to do culture things and invest in people, but mostly I'm not in the day-to-day -day of it. I most 90% of my time, I get to be the CEO of the focus group. But that's allowed us to have resources that I wouldn't otherwise have, right? Because of the focus group, I get paid, but I'm really trying to just build the kingdom. And so as a major donor, I have these this money and we give away. And it's it's you asked me a story or two. Um, it's it's really interesting because sometimes organizations can't help themselves. And um sometimes I Wendy and I get pursued. And um, even though the organization knows that I'm a fundraiser, they, they don't take the time to do some really basic things like involve my wife. Like I, like we're not, I don't make decisions alone. It's Wendy and I. And so it's amazing when that happens. It's amazing when organizations um, uh, don't, like I believe you should, the two basic rules in fundraising is you should let people know ahead of time you're going to ask for a gift. And the second one is you should ask them for something they can say yes to which is you've been thoughtful about what you're going to ask them to. And there's been a few times where people have asked us for really way too much money. Like the relationship isn't like technically we could give that much money, but if we've only known each other for six months, it's not quite time for us to get married, you know? And so that, that's always interesting. But, but I tell you, I, I think I have better stories of people treating us well, um, probably because they know our, they know what I do, but, some of the gift officers that have that are like there's these gift officers that will come and meet with Wendy and I and ask for money and sometimes it's the presidents or the CEOs or the heads of school and um, the, what I actually appreciate the most is the ones that ask us how they can be praying for us and and ask us about our kids and invest in us personally. Like I have a lot of great friends and I am grateful from the community and my church, but at the same time. You know, I um, have four kids and it's hard, right? And so when one of the gift officers will ask me sincerely about my children 
And I know you asked for a negative story and I'm telling you a positive one. But, hey, I actually prefer the positive. Go for it. Yeah, but, <laughs> but like uh, this gift officer a few months ago asked me how I could pray and I asked him to pray. And then this same gift officer came and met with Wendy and I this week. And we sat down and he asked us for <laughs> a large sum of money. But as a part of that meeting, he also said, how is your son doing? I've been praying for X, Y, and Z. And, you know, after that point, I'm like, whatever you want, (laughs) you know, because I feel so naked with my children. I can't, I love them so much. I want them to be passionate followers of Christ. And, and so I, I just am so grateful. If we had more time, I'd tell a really funny story about the university of Florida pursuing us for a gift, but I think I'm running out of time. But (laughs) That's going to be a part two, part two of of the anchor podcast with Brad Leland. Uh, No. And and I think what I appreciate more most about your book, you're a great storyteller. And so, so um, uh, your book has several of those stories. So uh, encourage everyone to, to, to uh, order it. It's turning donors into partners, uh, principles of fundraising you'll actually enjoy. Um, Brad, we have, we have one, one final question as we always do in the anchored podcast. Uh, I know it's usually the most difficult one to answer because we're asking to just pick one book or one text um, that has most impacted your life, that's been most influential on you and your your life, what would that be and why? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, probably The Road Back to You, um, which is the book about the Enneagram. And um, it's an InterVarsity Press published book. And like understanding your Enneagram type uh, helped me a ton. And so, uh, you know, you, you read about the different Enneagrams, eight different Enneagram types. And you there's like when an idiot when a, when a when a one is being health, healthy they act this way and when they're being unhealthy they act this way and so i'm reading about all of them and i was pretty convinced i was the enneagram 3 which is sort of the achiever um and i read about the negative achiever and i was kind of affected by it but um in the end of the day i'm an enneagram 2 which is a helper and they often say that you know what Enneagram type you are by when you read about the negative side of a number, the one that makes you want to crawl under the chair at the table and hide, that's your number. And so I'm, I know God's called me to be a helper, and then I can be an unhealthy helper sometimes. So understanding that um, has been really good in our, my marriage. And then like, I make everybody that works for the focus group, before you come on staff with the focus group, you have to read the book and you have to figure out. Uh, where you're at so that that's probably my favorite uh that was my book of the year a few years ago when i read it so amazing yeah we do the same at, at clt and i'm a i am a three so i i <laughs> I, I, I can relate to the crawling under the because <laughs> i'm like yep that is that is me um yeah well yeah, super, super well i want to be i want to be a three you know i want to <laughs> be like you but god's called me to help you <laughs> so uh, how can i help you soren and my wife sometimes reminds me I could be I could be more of a two sometimes. So yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Great, great, great sharing that. Um, again, we're here with Brett Leyland, who's the CEO of the Focus Group. Uh, get his new book. Uh, connect with him. He's really just such a blessing to to so many of our our schools um, and uh, that are doing just wonderful work around the country. So, uh, Brett, uh, it's been an honor. Thank you so much for being on today. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Anchored. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to leave a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice. And remember to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.